0: Well, good evening. Um, can't express how grateful I am to uh, be here, Mindy's Baptist Church, Caleb, for offering this opportunity to me. Um, any time I get a chance to share the word of God, I'm more than obliged to. But ultimately, it's not a, in me. As Caleb said, it's, it's about his word. Um, my name is Rusty Lovett. I'm from Mount Vernon Baptist Church. We're on the south end of Baxley, Georgia. Um, my wife, Tiffany, is here. We have four kids. Um, so they keep us busy. They are not with us tonight, but they will be, uh, the next couple nights, I'm sure. Um, but tonight in the proper gospel, the topic I cover is going to be the response to the gospel. Um, don't be confused by the paper. It shows, um, the, the several responses as we go through the text. Um, but the one key point is at the very top where it says the only acceptable response to the gospel is repent and believe. Um, I settled on that um, from Scripture. Um, if you would, if you take God's Word and uh, turn with me right now to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's, it's definitely not the text that is on the sheet, but in light of introduction, <clears throat> in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see that, um, of course, Israel uh, this is a this is um, a call to a decision in verses fifteen through six, fifteen and sixteen and and thereafter. This is a call from God to Israel. Right after a um, generation has passed, they're getting ready to go back into the promised land, and God sets forth a call to them. And he says in verse fifteen, "See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil." And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. And I'm just going to stop there just because I wanted to, to, to bring that in as an introduction because right now I think this is kind of the purpose for this conference is because there's a lot of confusion about the gospel. There's a lot of confusion about the gospel message, which also leads to a lot of confusion about the response to the gospel. Um, as we see here in this one passage, and, and this is the only thing I'm going to pull from here, but you see that God sets forth and he says, death, it, I set before you life and good and death and evil. So there's only two. That's it. There's no maybes. There's no gray. Uh, what we know about God and, and even in the verses after that, uh, we see that he sets before them blessing and cursing. Um, so so when we look at the gospel in response to the gospel, there is only belief and unbelief. There is no middle. Uh, because, again, God sets before us life and death, good and evil, blessing and cursing, righteousness, unrighteousness. That's how our God. Is orderly, that's that's how he maintains the order that he does. So that is the nature of God I, in, in, in beginning the response to the gospel. Um, but the other part of this is is that in the Old Testament, this was also, again, an issued call, an issued call to the Israelites. We know the seriousness of it, um, and I would say that that carries the same weight as the seriousness of the gospel that we're talking about and discussing today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that... Uh, is 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 of god the one god the one true god the god of creation not any other gods so when we look at the response to the gospel you can see that my main text is going to be matthew chapter 13 and if you want to go ahead and start flipping there i'm, I'm we're, we're going to get there and, and and go through that um, but what i want you to know is that in the new testament most most often when I say that the only acceptable response is repent and believe that is because that is what our savior preached, repent and believe that is also the message that John the Baptist brought in Matthew chapter three, Peter in the book of acts also repent and believe Paul in the book of acts, repent and believe it was the only message. It was the only response that was appropriate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, If we, if we look at, uh, you know, why is that necessary? And, 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 and I want to, I didn't break all this stuff down. I told Caleb ahead of time, I'm not really good at following notes. I'm going to get probably really lost. I'm, I'm definitely not a polished pastor. I didn't mention this, but I'm, I'm, I'm a deacon, but again, I surrender to the ministry. And this is the reason why, because I love to preach and teach the word of God. So when we're looking at the response to, to the gospel, it is twofold. Number one, first and foremost, is the repent. That is only a sovereign act of God. The other part of the gospel that is the second fold is the act of faith, which is man's responsibility. I'll cover that in a minute in in, in more depth as we go. But repentance being that it's uh, defined as a change of heart, it is a turning in another direction. A lot of times when we're, we're talking with young kids or we want to describe it, we'll say it's a 180. But the one fact that we forget to leave out or that we leave out most often is is that is only by the grace of God. That is, on, that is the only way that repentance is granted. Uh, in, in, in Acts eleven eighteen, that is where it is said that God also granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. Um, when we look at Romans 3, 10, it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seek God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So when we look at the need for repentance, that is it. That is why that is only a sovereign act of God. Romans three tells us that there's nobody that seeks God. So if somebody says, well, if you're just seeking God, no, that's, that's not it. In natural state, man is not seeking God. He is dead in his trespasses. As from last night, I know that uh, my brother there covered that verse. So. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Well, when we move into the believing side, which is man's side, this is the man's responsibility, and and, and that is the believing on the gospel. Um, it follows repentance. But somehow, and, and I'm not going to be able to explain it, and that's a diff- different message for a different time, but somehow that works perfectly hand in hand with God's sovereign act for salvation. That is one of the great mysteries that we'll never know, this side of heaven. How God perfectly, um, molded us, but also perfectly revealed his message so that it would penetrate the hearts. As we see at the day of Pentecost when, when Peter's preaching, it says their hearts were pricked. But it should lead us again to an appropriate response, and that is repent and believe. When I, when moving into Matthew in chapter 13, when, when Christ our Lord goes and he's delivering this parable, uh, this is the time when he, he transitions into parables when he's teaching. Um, he does that for the obvious reasons it is to hide the truth and that only the believers would hear it and they would only hear the truth. So in moving into this, the responses that I have listed out are responses of the heart. These are the, the heart responses that we see that Christ is going to Basically, exposit for us. Uh, that's another a great thing about this passage is, is that this is one where Christ Himself exposits for His disciples. Our benefit is that we can see that written in Scripture. At that time, the people listening didn't. Um, so, one thing that I, I would say that that drives everything. Uh, this is H.B. Charles. He says oftentimes he says the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's that's where we lose sight of the purpose for the gospel. We also lose sight of the sovereign God act in the gospel message and in the change of the heart. Um, we, we, we try to make it as man-centered as we can. We try to uh, to change what God has perfectly laid out for us and we go against it. So Warren Wiersbe, he also referred to the heart as the master control unit of the body because it controls our thoughts, it controls our emotions, and it controls our will. So moving into the parable of the sower. Uh, if you would, I want to stop right there after this introduction and, and, and just say a word of prayer again and just ask him for guidance through, through scripture. And Father, Father God, I, I come to you acknowledging that you are the one true God, the living God and the God of creation. Lord, I come praising you and thanking you for your grace and your mercy, for the love that you've given us and shown us through your son, Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the gospel message, which is the only message that can lead us to salvation, a salvation that you set forth, Lord, that you have perfectly ordained for the foundations of the earth. Lord, I pray that you'll just be with me. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Lord, cleanse me so that I will be able to speak with clarity your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in the parable of the sower, we'll start with verses 3, and and we'll go to verse, we'll just read the first eight verses there and read the parable as as our Lord spoke it. It says in verse 3, he says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they were they were withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Following that message, we see where our Lord, He explains out, uh, why He's speaking His parables. That was the first question of, of the disciples. Naturally, they, had, they had, at this point had not heard Jesus speaking parables. This is, this is when He transitions in Matthew's gospel, uh, we see the first 12 chapters, He speaks pretty plainly. He, we see the Sermon on the Mountain, in chapter, chapter five through seven. Um, but at this point, He's moving into parables. He's wanting to teach. He's, He's using this as a teaching method. But the parable that he's teaching us is, is again, the heart issues in receiving and responding to the gospel. Some may take this and they may make it an evangelistic message and, and they may say, well, this is God's, this is Jesus's method of evangelizing everyone. But if you look in verse three, he says, behold, a sower went forth. He tells us nothing about the sower. He doesn't give qualifications. He doesn't, he doesn't give any, any special characteristics of the sower. The next thing you see is that he went forth to sow, which means that he sowed, he spoke the same way. He didn't go out, he didn't change his message, he didn't change his delivery. It doesn't give us a writing of this is how you do it, how you do it. When when, when Jesus himself exposited it, he didn't even elaborate on those things. But what he meant was is that when he went forth to sow, we know, again, moving to, to Jesus' exposit of it. When we go to verse 18 um, and, and moving there, he says, Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. In verse 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. And the seed here in this parable is the gospel. So we know that the gospel is unchanging. We know that in our culture, there are many gospels, but here the word tells us that the gospel is unchanging. It is. It is meant for everyone, and everyone that speaks it should say the same gospel, should speak the same gospel. So if if the delivery is the same, the method is the same, the message is the same, but there are varying responses. Since the heart of the matter is the issue, what Jesus wants to to really shine forth to the the disciples as he's, he's getting ready to to put them out into ministry, right? He's always teaching and preparing them for ministry as well. He wants them to be prepared for the responses that they that they will see. We do know that, as as Brother Caleb mentioned, that in the book of Acts we see many, many different responses. We see hostility, we see um, repentance and, and and great change in churches. We see the birth of the church through the gospel. But ultimately, when we, when we're considering this passage and we're considering one to one. We need to understand again why someone may reject us, but again, they're not rejecting us because the sower doesn't matter here. Neither does the way we we sow it, because that's not the method. It's not the promise. It's it's not the, the 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 precise way I say it or my eloquence of words. It's nothing to do with that. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. So so when he wants to explain this out, he goes in verse nineteen. He says, "When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom," And understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. Then this is which is this is he which received uh, received seed by the wayside. Now the wayside there, when we look at that, um, the wayside is there for for Jesus. He's given a uh, in those days they would have understand it. In our day, I would give you a, a, a illustration that's no different than the asphalt pavement that we drive on. The wayside was was the road that was traveled by the horses by foot by the chariots. It was just a, a hard, bad road. And so what Jesus is pointing to here is the hardness of the hearts of men. The response to the gospel there is, is that it, the seed doesn't penetrate. It can't penetrate the hard surface. It, it can't penetrate a hardened heart, which is what scripture would tell us the fool. In, in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, which is one of the the verses there that I have listed and, and I'm not going to cover all these verses. They're there for your reference, uh, for your study. But in first 1 Corinthians 1:18 it says that the foolishness of the, cro- of the cross preached is, is, foolish to them that perish. That's paraphrasing. Um, so to the natural man, it's foolishness. What you will be given as the gospel message is foolishness. The man's hard. His, his, his heart is hard. We see some examples in scripture. We see, uh, no matter what God did, uh, to Pharaoh we see that his heart was just hardened because he had set himself in the place of God. This is this is what I would say the first unbeliever. This is the unbelieving self-righteous person, the fool, the natural state of man as you see in your, in your in your outline there. He's self-deceived, he's prideful, he's arrogant and he's hardened his heart. He's hardened his heart against God. He's hardened hardened his heart against the gospel message from God. The next one again and these are all not different forms of responses in a sense. It's just still one response in in unbelief. But we need to understand because some of these, I believe that in our own lives, we encounter and have encountered and will encounter. But if you look at verse 20, he goes on to the next one. Um, To the next one, he's going to explain it out. He says, but he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receive it. This is the unbelieving, emotional, experiential type of person, the emotional hearer. It it still leads to unbelief, but this person is shallow. We see in the parable where he says that um, it fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up. They had no deepness of earth. So again, we see the shallow roots there. We see the shallowness. Um, We see that, that we do see from reading that, that the gospel did penetrate because there was just enough soil there for the person to acknowledge that, okay, there is a God and there is a plan of salvation. But it's shallow because they only came with themselves in mind. They only came to, again, appease an emotional, uh, uh, emotional problem they may have had, it, it, just an emotional attachment they had when he says, in verse twenty, he says that they received it with joy. That's 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 pointing to their emotions. That is not the joy of the spirit. This is just pointing to the happiness that some people receive when they get it. Now, this is not to say that there's not an emotional response. There is an absolute re- emotional response when the gospel is received in in the way that it's supposed to be in repenting and believing. We see that when we when we see the uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, we see that. Um, Sorry, I told you I was going to get lost in my notes. But we see in Luke's Gospel where he's talking about the parable of the the Pharisee and the parable of the tax collector, and we see the 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 emotion that the tax collector had when he's pounding on his chest, right? Be merciful to me, a sinner, right? That's the that's an appropriate emotional response. So this is this is in no way Jesus is not referring to someone who accepts it in that way in that manner. They're not repenting. Uh, the reason why we know that is was because it says in in verse twenty one says. Yet hath he not not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Most important statement there: it says arise, arise because of the word. That's where the tribulation and the persecution comes. That's why in in, in the book of Acts, when we read, and and that's why the book of Acts is so critical. We see that all of the apostles, whenever it, it the going got tough they stood firm because they were deeply rooted in the gospel message. The gospel had, had penetrated, and even then, the churches that we see that stood against persecution, Ephesus, we see a lot of these churches that stood firm against the against the persecutions that come just, again, by the word. The importance there is, is that we're never, ever going to get away from that. Persecution is promised. But this is the sentimental hearer. This is the seeker of emotional fulfillment. This is also one that, that we would say did not count the costs. Um, they, they did not think about what the gospel means. They didn't think about what it was going to mean and, and, and mean to their life as far as what they would have to get rid of. That part of that repentance is, is that the realize, realization that it's not me. This is something they would not have moved past. So in verse 22, he goes on. He tells us about the next seed. He says, he also that had, that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. And the Lord is yet showing another unbeliever. And this is an unbelieving, carnal mind, an unbelievable, unbelieving, carnally minded person. In James' gospel, he talks about the double-minded is unstable. That that is an indication of this same person because they're, they're they've heard the word. All of these unbelievers have heard the word, but in this case, the word gets in. There's enough soil there, but below the surface, there's all the weeds, there's all the thorns, there's all those things that they have in their in their mind and in their heart, their desires. And so all these things are, are, are stationed there and, and when the word comes in and it begins to grow, what happens? It gets choked out by the desires of the flesh. It gets choked out by the desires to, to please the world. It says the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They all choke the word out. This is a double-minded person. Jesus warned about this in, 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 the, in the Sermon on the Mount when he, when he's, he's given forth the sermon and he, and he tells and he says that, um, do not set for yourself treasures on earth. Set for yourself treasures in heaven. Right again. Don't be worried about the things that are on earth. Don't store up things that are that are just material. This is not just an indication that is material person. But by saying that these things were below the surface, these things don't come come to fruition. The, the, the person here does not realize that these things are there. The rich young ruler, another good example. We see that he came to Jesus. He wanted eternal life. But when Jesus challenged him and said, hey, let go of everything you own, it was not a charge to just go out and sell. It was a charge to say, hey, this is what the gospel is probably going to take for you. This is is what the message is going to be. So he didn't count this. He didn't think through this. But now they're coming up. And instead of grabbing hold of the gospel in his unbelieving and unbelieving mind, he's doing away. The word tells us that this person, again, even though he received the word, in verse twenty-two, Jesus says he received the received the seed. He received it among the thorns. At the end, he says he become unfa- unfruitful. That's another indication that tells us that this person did not get salvation. They did not receive salvation through the gospel message. The last one that we see. This is what I would hope that most everyone in here is saints. Would be that we are the believer, and this is the picture of the believer. He says in twenty three, but he that receiveth the seed, receive the seed into good ground, is he that heareth the word and understand it, which also beareth fruit and bring forth some hundredfold, and some sixtyfold, and some thirty. <clears throat> when it talks about the good ground there, and, and this is where I wanted to to really try, start pointing some 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 I guess some more um appropriate I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on on the other things other than acknowledging the fact that unbelief comes in many many different ways not only from people that we witness to but even in our own life it is it, is is possible that we start moving and transitioning toward unbelief we start we start questioning questioning things we start questioning god about things and again But in good ground, good ground is, 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 is where I would go because that's the first act of God. This is where we see the first act of God. When I said repentance is the only sovereign, only a sovereign act of God, we don't see that this person did anything, but they were already, their heart was already prepared. The heart was prepared. Uh, if you look at your, your outline, it's, it's regenerated. That is exactly what's happened. This person, they have already been regenerated, so they're receptive to the gospel. They're receptive to the message of Christ. God has prepared the ground, the good ground there. You would also refer to if you were um, plowing a field, it's, it's been cultivated, it's been prepared. The acknowledgement also is, is that he heareth the word, which means he has humility. This is something that is contrary to the other three. The other three responses were self-centered. They were about the I. They were about the me. They were not about, okay, God. They were not about the things that we know are necessary. But regeneration is, is the first act of God, a sovereign act of God. You can't, you can't separate re- regeneration and repentance and know when the two are, are independent of each other. But I want scripture, I'll allow scripture to again define this for us and, and again point to the reason why I would say that it is a sovereign act of God. If you will, turn to Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, and Verse 24, starting there and going to verse 32 it says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you, gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and all your, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart Out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn, and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree, and the increase of the field and ye shall receive no more reproach of the famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sakes do I do this, do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. And that passage is speaking to Israel, but this is also a passage about the regeneration. It's also about repentance of Israel. Oftentimes we, we, we look at this stuff and, you know, we say, oh, that, that's Old Testament. It doesn't really matter, but there's no better explanation. And the reason why I would go there and, and point to this is because this is the same scripture. This is the same reason why Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus when he was trying to explain to him the rebirth. This is why he said that he was without excuse. This is also why we would be without excuse in denying and rejecting the gospel message. It's written in black ink on white paper. No matter what the delivery is, no matter who delivers it, the gospel message is the same. But I want to see also is who is responsible. In verse 21, you say, I will. Verse 25, you see, I. These are all God speaking. He says, I will cleanse you. A new heart I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away. This is not based on anything that we've done. So in a response to the gospel message in repentance, that is only by God and by only his grace. Repentance you see there at the end. Again, it's moved after, after regeneration. We do know that repentance is after regeneration. It's not, it's not before. Otherwise we could lay claim and say, well, I changed my habits. I changed my morals. That makes me a better person. That makes me a good person. That's not the case. Repent, regeneration has to be there. That good heart, that good soul, has to be, has to be prepared and cultivated. When we move into the repentance and we're looking at repentance and, and, and what is repentance and why is that so necessary? Well, at, at, what is it defined? How do we define it? How do we know if I have repentance? How do I how do I know if I have repentance? How do I know if I've responded to the gospel message and I've repented? Well, first of all, repentance. Second Corinthians in, in Second Corinthians chapter six—that whole chapter—Paul deals with uh, um, a lot of the signs and and the ways that we repent and and and, and things of that nature. But ultimately. The first thing that we know is that we have a change of thinking. If you go back to Matthew's Gospel in thirteen, <clears throat> and we're looking at that last seed, and he says, "But that, but he that receives seed into the ground, into the good ground, is he that heareth the word and understandeth." Right. That's where we see the picture of the the changed mind, the changed thinking. Because the natural man cannot understand the things of God, they are only spiritually discerned. So we know that that's an indication that they that they have to have that they have to have had true repentance. That's the way that that a believer can know that they have had true repentance is, is that change of thinking as first and foremost. Then there's a change of emotion when we when we see that he's uh, understandeth it and also beareth fruit. When you when you when you talk about Change of emotion, that is also, again, when the heart is changed, as, as Warren Wearsby says, the heart controls everything, our minds and our thoughts and our emotions. And again, that's how we're supposed to love our God. So we can't love God unless those changes happen. We can't love God without that repentance. There's also a change in action. This is probably one of the things in my life that I would say that it was left off, off the list completely whenever I was given the gospel message. One thing that the gospel message is supposed to do is move the dead into life. Part of that, we understand that the mind changes. We understand that the desires change, but sometimes we don't think the actions change. We summarize those up into the moral good things that we can do and the morally good things and the bad things that we can stop doing. So so we don't summarize it in the way that, that, that God summarizes it. And in the way that he says, he says which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. That's not just trying to tell us that okay, some are going to be more profitable than others. Those kinds of things. That's that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to take out the message and oh, you're going to be more blessed than this person than that person. That's not what it means either. But what he's trying to say is is that you have to move into action. The repentance takes you moving into action. And this is kind of where it transitions again from that sovereign work of God, the sovereign work of God that grants you the new new thinking, that grants you the new emotion and the new desires. He grants you the action. So now we're moving and we transition into belief, which is the response of a believer. It is is the response of any Christian that is accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing, we know it. We 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 look at it and in the Bible. Basically defines it as faith. That is the, that is what we have from the gospel message. Not only is it a response, but it is also a reward of the gospel message for the believer. Faith we know is defined in Hebrews 11. We, we, we know the scriptures there. But more importantly than, than, than being able to define it as, as, as scripture would tell us, the substance of things not seen. What we need to understand is, is that the, the primary goal of the gospel message is to under, make you understand where you need to put your faith. That is only in Christ. Faith in Christ alone. In Ephesians 2, turn there real quick. As Paul's leading the church at Ephesus and, and writing to them and, and not just to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to the churches. I preached this, this message this past Sunday night and, and it just, it felt proper that I would, that I would, that I would go back to it tonight a little bit, but to this passage. <clears throat> but in the gospel message, we need to understand, again, who is, who is this for? I think Brother Cable mentioned it earlier. Who is the gospel message for ultimately? That's a question that we that we have to mull over because a lot of times the reason why we have those other three unbelieving responses is because we think that the Bible tells us that the gospel message is for us. And now you may think, and you may be scratching your head and be like, yeah, it's a little, little stretch there. It is for us. It is. But ultimately, it's for the glory of God. If you look in the first chapter, he talks about the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory for his grace. We see all of those things in Ephesians 1 when, when Paul's laying out the, the, the theology and the doctrine of the church. Then we move to Ephesians 2 and, and we're going into it and he, in first three verses he explains again, this is the hopelessness, the disparity of man. This is, that is another product of, of repentance is that that's what you see. You begin to realize that the disparity, okay, that this is a sovereign act of God. Salvation. Is a sovereign plan of God, so that means it only leaves the unbeliever or a, a lost person. That only leaves you in despair because there's no hope. Your hopelessness. There's there's hopelessness. And then we then we get into we like there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can say. There's no song I can sing. There's no prayer I can pray. None of that can save me. And you and you see in in verses verse four of chapter two, of Ephesians, the most powerful words is but God. Those two words is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So when we have a response to the gospel, the response to the gospel is to be made alive. We're made alive only by God, and then that's 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 taken care of by Him. We run from that fact. We, we try to get as far away from that as we can as a natural man. Even even in in our saved, again, acknowledging the gospel, knowing the gospel, we still our flesh still tries to get us away from that. That's why the gospel is so blurred right now. There's too many prominent people that are preaching gospels that are not the gospel of Christ. They may say the words Jesus. They may say Jesus' name. They may say in Jesus' name. But we know when we look at the Lord. And what he told all of his disciples when he told them, he said, beware. Because even those men are going to come and deceive. They're not going to come and tell something completely contrary. Why would they do that? That's easy to spot. But what they're going to come and they're going to try to do is try to pull you away. Try to lead you away. And they're going to do it through the lusts of the flesh. They're going to do it by attacking your initial state. They're going to go by attacking the lusts of the flesh. Because that's what made you a slave to, a slave to Satan. That's what made you a slave to sin. The gospel message frees us. The gospel message again is, is, is our praise and our glory, but only in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Verse eight, one of the most famous verses I think that we all can, can, can look at and, and, and we all know almost by heart for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So the the evidence of repentance in a a believer, the evidence of repentance is the changed mind, the changed emotion, the changed action. The evidence of belief, if you believe the gospel, if you believe the gospel message, if you have faith in the gospel message, verse 10 says that it moves you unto good works. You're not saved by the works, but they are a product of what you believe. That is the only way that you know that you believe the true gospel. That is why when Christ Peter Paul. That's why the message of 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 the responding to the gospel is repent and believe. It doesn't have to be more complicated. It that's as simple as it gets. Now this is not an easy believe is a message because if I was going to give you an easy believe is a message, I'd say come on down and just make a prayer. This is this is something that you have to decide. You have to look at your heart and you have to know what is your heart condition. You have to look at it and say. Have I repented? Do I do I do I have a change in thinking? Do I ch- have a change in mind? Do, do I desire the things that God desires? Believing, am I am I am I holding my part? God has prepared me, but I am up. Am I upholding my my part? This is where, and I hope I'm not getting too far ahead in the next few nights. but This is where the gospel response is not just for the unbelieving soul; it's also for the saved soul. That's why Paul wrote this in the book of Ephesians, to remind them of the gospel message. Because when you lose sight of the gospel message in Revelations in the church, what does Jesus tell the church at Ephesus? You've lost your first love. The importance of the gospel message for the church, this church, any church, is that we have a clear and proper gospel as this conference is centered around but that we're also promoting the proper response to the gospel. No different than what our Lord set forth in Scripture, but is to repent and believe. Don't get caught up with the unbelieving souls. Our job is not to change that heart. That is only God that can change it. We're supposed to acknowledge and see who they are, how, you know, the unbelieving self-righteous, the unbelieving emotional, the unbelievable carnal mind, Number one, make sure that's not us. But most important, when we see those, know that that's how you need to approach them with the gospel message. The proud and arrogant, the way, the same way that Christ approached him. He is the master sower. How did he, how did he sow? You can't do anything. The material man, young, rich young ruler, we see the evidence there. The unbelieving, emotional, how is that approached? Again, you don't get fulfillment from your emotions. You're probably going to get a little bit more emotionally stressed by taking forth of the gospel. So when we think about it again, in closing, the proper response to the gospel message is repent and believe. Repentance is not of ourselves. It is only of God. Regeneration, a regenerated prepared heart is only of God. Sovereign God. But when we believe, our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our works. It's not in the prayers that we may have prayed as a kindergartner. It's not the prayers that are, that are being led in, in crusades and massive revivals and those things. That is not what we hold on to. We hold on that our faith is in Christ and in Christ alone and for the glory of God alone. Let's close in prayer. During this time, be a hymn of invitation for for anybody that that would like to come down and uh, pray, talk, ask questions again. But as they lead us in a song, be thinking of ourselves and again, monitoring, checking ourselves. Paul, challenge the church at Corinthians to always examine themselves to see if they are in the faith. That's there in Scripture because, again, as I said, salvation is something that we're always supposed to be not doubting. We have security. But we're supposed to always make sure we're upholding our part in belief. And Father God, I come to you tonight. I thank you again.